Welcome to Torati Mecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Shira Shaiwit, and today we'll be studying Parshat Matot and Parshat Maseh. So we close our series on Sefer Bamidbar with a double Parsha. And at first glance, these Parshiot seem like a hodgepodge of many different topics, but we'll see that they actually bring us full circle to where we began. To review, our journey started in the second year following the exodus from Egypt for a short journey that was meant to lead us directly into Israel. The first 10 prakim of this sefer set up that exact journey by preparing the camp for war and travel and also creating structure and hopefully peace within the camp that's centered around the Mishkan. Things, however, go off track in Parshat Bahalotcha when we hit a series of complaints, taking us on a downward spiral, which culminates in the decree that this generation, the people who were initially slaves in Egypt, will not enter into Israel. In Parshat Chukat, after 38 years that the Torah is silent, we abruptly continue the story in the 40th year with the children of the new generation who are now preparing themselves to enter into Israel. And this generation will encounter many of the same struggles and experiences that their parents did. But while they're not perfect, they are uniquely suited in a different way than their parents to now actualize this vision. What's exciting about these last two parshiot is that we finally get to see the dreams that were prepared at the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar start to become a reality. So we'll take a few minutes now to talk through what actually happens in these parshiot. Parshat Matot begins with the laws of Nidarim, vows that people make and their responsibility to fulfill these vows. The next section brings us back to Parshat Pinchas as Hashem commands B'nai Israel to avenge the Midianim for ensnaring B'nai Israel into the worship of Baal Peor. Now, many of the laws that we saw earlier, and also some that will be explained in Sefer Devarim, are emphasized here. Pinchas, as the Kohen, goes along with the troops to provide spiritual reinforcement, almost like a modern-day um, army chaplain. The people are led by the Chatzotzrot, the trumpets. After the victory, the soldiers need to leave the camp, when they are tummy meat because they've come into contact with a dead body. Um, and some of these laws we remember from the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, and now the people have a chance to actually use them. Um, there are some new things that we learn. The booty that they brought back from the war needs to be purified, and we learn the laws of koshering and also tevilat kalim. Um, surprisingly, they're also asked to split the booty evenly among those who went to war and those who were guarding the home front, which emphasizes the value of unity. The soldiers are then counted. Remarkably, no one has been killed. And as an expression of gratitude, the leaders, the army leaders donate the gold jewelry taken from the Midianim to the Mishkan. Now, this section about the war with Midian is followed by a very complicated interaction between Moshe and the tribes of Reuven and Gad. Reuven and Gad have a lot of cattle, and they see that the land on the other side of the Jordan River, because they've not yet crossed it to enter into Israel, is rich and fruitful, and it will be good for their cattle. So they ask Moshe to remain there instead of crossing the Jordan. For Moshe, this is an immediate flashback to the rejection of the land by the Miraglim in the last generation, the spies. And he lashes out at them, right? Will you incite your brothers um, to reject the land just like you're rejecting the land? We're reliving the story of the spies once again. Here we are on the brink of going in. How can you create this kind of discontent with the land again? 
Reuven and God reassure Moshe that that's not what this is about, and they plan to be fully unified with everybody else. They would like to remain on this side of the Jordan, but they will fight along with the other tribes. And Moshe agrees to give them this land, um, as well as to half the tribe of Menashe. Parshat Maseh continues by reviewing all the travels of Bnei Israel in the desert over these 40 years. It goes through the discussion of the Yerusha, how the different the parts of land will be divvied up between the different tribes, discussing the, the lottery that will, um, two methods, the lottery that will help them hand out the nachalot, the, the different portions, as well as the idea that larger portions will go to larger tribes and smaller portions to smaller tribes. Um, the borders of Israel are delineated, um, different cities, along with the cities of the Levim and the Are Miklat, the places, the cities of refuge for accidental killers. Now, um, what I'd like to do is take a look at the two, the beginning of Parshat Matot and the end of Parshat Maseh, which is also the end of Sefer Bamidbar, to try to understand more the theme of all these different laws and stories that we just discussed. And both of them seem out of place um, for different reasons. So let's begin with the laws of Nidarim, the vows that are told at the beginning of Parshat Matot. Now, most laws in this section are embedded into the narrative. They come up because of the need or the story. And yet here, it feels very out of place that suddenly Moshe gives over these laws of how to make a vow and when you have to keep your vow and the repercussions of not fulfilling a vow. Why is this stuck here in middle of these stories, particularly the stories of the war with um, Midian? Why here? So Ibn Ezra actually says something interesting. And Ibn Ezra notes that there's a connection between the story, um, between the laws of Nidarim, which uses the words, um, which uses the word, that when somebody makes a vow, a neder, they must fulfill everything that comes out of their mouth. And that this language comes up again in the story of Reuven and God, um, who also make a vow. They promise that they will go into the battle along with their brothers, along with the other tribes on the, um, into Israel, despite leaving their families and ultimately having their nachala, their portion on the other side of the Jordan. And Moshe is reassured by their commitment, but he says to them, the same language that we saw with Nidarim, that what comes out of your, your mouth you will do. Um, and there's a broader theme here that I think that Ibn Ezra is touching on, which is the theme of responsibility and follow through. Right? The, the Nidarim te- like, emphasizes the fact that promises, um, and we'll come back to this idea of speech, um, which is a theme in Bamidbar in general, but that promises much, must be fulfilled and words need follow through. And this is exactly what Moshe is concerned about with Reuven and God. Will they fulfill their responsibilities? Will they, initially, he's concerned that they're deviating, um, that they're stepping back from this journey into Israel and separating themselves. But once, once they reassure him, Moshe allows them to stay only if they vow to step forward and follow through with their responsibility to all of Klal Yisrael. 
Um, and there's an interesting, I think there's an interesting question that comes up with this story that when Moshe is initially really angry at Reuven and God for their request, um, was he right? Like, was their request coming from a point of deviation? Um, or did Moshe misunderstand what they were really asking? They never had any um, negative intentions. Um, they were really all along planned to be part of Am Yisrael, but they were just, um, you know, they they were asking to stay in this land despite that. Um, and it's interesting. I think it's never, it's not really clear what Reuven and God's intentions were at the beginning, but it almost doesn't matter because the point of this story is that ultimately they do take responsibility. So whether they plan to take responsibility or whether Moshe taught them that they needed to take responsibility, they step up and they show that this initiative that they're raising is not to deviate from responsibility, but they want to do this along with a commitment to all of Am Yisrael. And in that way, the story ends up being, instead of Moshe's fears, which were that this will be um, a Miraglim 2.0, a second story, a redo of the story of the spies, instead it becomes almost like a tikkun, um, a repair of the story of the spies, where they, um, they want something different they don't want to enter into the land the same way that Moshe um, that Moshe intended them to initially, but instead they they do take responsibility and they align their plan with Hashem's vision for Bnei Israel. Um, and Rav Alex Israel actually connects this theme of responsibility to the theme of the war as well. War in general seems like a very impulsive act, but even war is actually scripted by Hashem. Um, there are parts that are really not intuitive, like equally sharing the booty with the people who didn't go to war. And this highlights, again, the responsibility to everyone. Um, it's not just a plunder where the winner takes all, but it involves restraint and it involves a strong sense of responsibility to the klal, to the general community. So let's go to the end and look at the last story in the book of Bamidbar, um, which also is a law, but uh, a law that's based in a story, and see if we can uncover something else about the theme through this very last story. Now, the last story, which I didn't mention before in our summary of the Parsha, is a really fascinating one, um, which is that we spoke earlier um, about the story of the Benot Tzalafchad, which came up in Bamidbar chapter 26. And Benot Tzalafchad, the daughters of Tzalafchad, had um, had asked Moshe a question that their father didn't have any sons, so who will inherit the land? They didn't want their father to lose um, their father's name to be lost, that he should lose out. And because of that, the halacha came out through their request that when there are no sons, the women can inherit the land of their father. Now, the end of Bamidbar ends with a wrinkle to this because the heads of their family, the family of Tzalafchad, um, who were from the family of Gilad, which was part of Menashe, um, come to Moshe and they have a question. So I'm going to read the next two psukim. And I, I, you can note how similar the language is of their request to the initial request of the daughters of Tzalafchad. And here's what they say. Vayomru. Et Adonit va Hashem latet et ha'aretz b'nachala b'goral l'vnei Yisrael. V'adoni tzuvah ba'ashem latet et nachala tzlafchad achinu l'vnotav. 
Okay, so first they acknowledge that Moshe has commanded them to give out the portions through a lottery, and specifically the portion of Tzalafchad will go to his daughters. But they ask, But if these women, the daughters of Tzalafchad, marry out of their Shevet, this Nachala, their portion of land that they inherited from their father, will be lost from the Nachala of their fathers, Vinosaf al Nachalat Hamateh Asher Tienalahem, because ultimately the Nachala will go to their sons and the sons will follow the tribe of their fathers. And they say ultimately, Umi Goral Nachalatenu from our own portion, Yigareya. It will be lost. And so here they use that same language that the daughters of Tzalafchad said, which was, why should my father lose Yigara? And they say, but in this case, if it goes through Tzalafchad, the daughters of Tzalafchad, ultimately this portion of land will be lost from our family, from our tribe. And Moshe responds actually exactly like he responds to the daughters of Tzalafchad. Um, he says, Vayitzav Moshe b'nei Yisrael al-pi Hashem lemor, kein mateh b'nei Yosef dovrim. So when, when Benot Tzalafchad asked their question, Moshe said, kein Benot Tzalafchad dovrot. They are speaking correctly. Now he says, yes, here the tribe of Yosef is also speaking correctly. And therefore, the law emerges that Benot Tzalafchad will marry within their tribe so that the land stays within their tribe and ultimately they marry even within their family. Now, this last story actually does fit into the story of Masse because Masse is very concerned with Yerusha, with inheritance and who will get the land. The end of Bamidbar in general, um, kind of with this anticipation of coming into Israel, is very focused on the inheritance of the land. So in that case, it fits right in. But... The story is so connected to the story of the daughters of Tzalafchad. Why is it separated? Actually, um, Rav Hanan Samet has an interesting theory that the story was originally, you know, this story actually did happen together in terms of like how it actually happened. This story happened right after the halacha was derived that the nachala, the land, could go to the daughters of Tzalafchad. But it's a split story for a specific thematic reason. This story is chosen to be the story that closes the book of Bamidbar and why. So I would suggest here that it's hard to think of a more beautiful story to end the book of Bamidbar because like the story of the daughters of Tzalafchad, this story emphasizes their initiative the initiative of the tribe of Yosef, of the family of Gilad, who loved the land and were taking initiative to make sure that the land stayed within their tribe. And actually, this is emphasized, I think, by the word that comes up at the very end of Bamidbar, which is the Shoresh Davak, which is to cleave to. Now, in general, the word Davak is used for loving relationships, right? Man and woman, Adam and Chava, in the initial Ganeden story, um, person and Hash, um, people and Hashem. But Rav Yonatan Grossman pointed out here that here the word Davak is used about the land. And actually the Nitziv mentions this also. And he says um, about this word Davak, Lo she'ena saying that if there's land in Chutz outside of Israel, so it's your land that's karov to you, it's close to you. 
But land in Israel has a connection of dvikut, which is usually only used for loving human and divine relationships. So we've struggled, I think, over the course of the Sefer with the question of where does a complaint end and where does initiative begin? And I think the Torah then ends deliberately um, safer by Midbar by praising this type of initiative. And it's interesting because the very last Pasuk says, um, These are the laws that Hashem gave through Moshe to Bnei Israel um, on the other side of the Jordan before they're about to go in. And it's this interesting closure to Bamidbar, which is much more of a narrative than a book of law. Um, you know, it would be a more fitting closure maybe to the book of Vayikra or Parshat Mishpatim. But I think it emphasizes, this pasuk emphasizes, this closure emphasizes stories like this, stories like Benot Salafchad, stories like the family of Gilad, stories like earlier stories about the people who were Tameh and weren't able to eat from the Koran Pesach. And through them, we derived the law of Pesach Sheni, the ability to celebrate Pesach a month later. Um, and laws, it's interesting, the mishpatim, the laws and the mitzvot of Bamidbar are often derived through questions and initiatives of the people. And we began our journey by noticing all the negative aspects of speech in Sefer Bamidbar, and there certainly were many. But in the end of the Sefer, I think Hashem brings us close to noticing all the positive aspects of this speech and initiative that through that can actually come Tvekut, tvekut between this cleaving between person to person and also between person and Hashem. Thank you so much for studying the book of Bamidbar with me through the OU Women's Initiative. It has really been a joy.